What happened to music that meant something? Like the Who at the Kingdom or Kiss at the Coliseum. Where is the Misty Mountain Hop? Where is the is the smoke on the water? Where is the Iron Man of today? Hey, this is not a test. This is rock and roll. Welcome to Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media. I'm Jim DeRogatis, the pop music critic at the Chicago Sun-Times. And I'm Greg Katz. I write about rock and roll for the Chicago Tribune. Today on the world's only rock and roll talk show, Jim, the dog days of winter are almost behind us. The record labels are waking up. A whole bunch of new releases coming our way. Yes, Greg, we are going to dive into some of the most anticipated releases this spring, including the newest from Modest Mouse and LCD Sound System. You're listening to Sound Opinions. Well, it would have been, could have been worse than you would ever know. On the dashboard and melted, but we still have the radio. Oh, sure, man, could have been worse than you would ever know. Well, you told me about nowhere, well, it sounds like some place I'd like to go. Singing about the uh, the wrecked car, but you know at least the radio still works. <laughs> That's the single from Modest Mouse's much anticipated fifth album, the major label release, and this is one of my favorite titles of the year. We were dead before the ship even sank. <laughs> um, it is no uh, exaggeration to say it's it's highly anticipated. I think there have been three indie records that many people in the music world are really watching early in 2007. One is by the Arcade Fire, the other is by the Shins, and Modest Mouse is probably uh, set to outsell either of the other two. Although all of them are going to do really well, and it could represent a new age for indie rock where you have indie rock on the mainstream charts. Modest Mouse had a major breakthrough in 2004 with their last album, and that uh, song Float On. I'm talking major breakthrough. They were covered on a Kids Bop compilation, Greg. <laughs> That's how you know you're serious. serious. That's how you know you've made it. But this was a real indie band from uh, upstate Washington. They recorded The Moon in Antarctica in 2000 here in Chicago with uh, Brian Deck of Red Red Meat because they, they wanted that kind of Red Red Meat sound. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then all of a sudden, these guys are on the charts. How did this come to pass? Even stranger, how did it come to pass that Johnny Marr of the Smiths is the new guitarist? Mm -hmm. Apparently, Isaac Brock, the center of the band, had his dream list of guitarists when Dan Gallucci, who's been in and out of the band several times, currently became out of the band again. Brock said, you know, who would I love to have play? I love the Smiths. And Marr was impressed enough by this group to say, okay, I'll try to write a couple songs with you. That turned into, let's go into the studio. That turned into Marr actually touring with Modest Mouse yeah. as a full-fledged member. Mm -hmm. We'll give our thoughts on how he fits in with this group in a minute. A couple of other things I think 
that are necessary to know about Modest Mouse. Isaac Brock, the band leader, the vocalist, the real driving force here, is a controversial figure in indie rock. He was accused of raping a woman in Seattle. Uh, he was acquitted of all charges, but he's been a polarizing figure from the beginning. He's had his uh, self-admitted problems with drugs and alcohol. A lot of people think this guy is crazy. They think he's a bad boy. They think, uh, well, they don't know what to think because he hates giving interviews. Doesn't give many of them. I think a really good profile of the band in a recent book by Chicago journalist Alan Goldscher. It's called Modest Mouse, A Pretty Good Read. One of the things that I learned and that really illuminated the band for me is that he grew up in Montana but then moved to Isaacwa, Washington. Much has been made of the fact that he lived in a trailer home. You know, apparently he was he was poor and there was a trailer, but it was a pretty swank trailer. <laughs> but his family was part of a fundamentalist Christian sect that was an offshoot of the Branch Davidians and it was all hell and brimstone, mm. fire and damnation. You hear a lot of talk about the devil and you hear a lot of talk about the ocean, the deep, deep seas and the monsters therein on all of Modest Mouse's albums, but never more so uh, than the new one. We were dead before the ship even sank. Here's a track. Let's uh, listen to it and then we'll give our opinions and rate it on the Sound Opinions Buy It, Burn It, Trash It scale. This is a song called Florida. It's a great pop song. It is not pro the Sunshine State. I think he is mocking the kind of superficiality of Orlando and Disney World and, and everything, everything is sunny and smiley in Florida. Modest Mouse on Sound Opinions. Florida from Modest Mouse, their fifth album, We Were Dead Before the Ship Even Sank. Uh, Jim, you mentioned the shins. The man delivering those high harmonies on the chorus of Florida yeah. 
is in fact uh, James Mercer. Mercer. lead singer James Mercer. Well, and, and Brock, apparently his other career, he fancies himself an A&R guy, and he had a relationship with Sub Pop where he would bring bands to them. He brought the shins to Sub Pop. Yeah, it's, it's kind of an all-star congregation we've got here. We've got James Mercer doing a lot of backing vocals on this record and really upping the pop quotient. Johnny Marr's guitar all over this record as well. The production by Dennis Herring, the same guy who worked on the breakthrough album Good News for People Who Love Bad News, 1.5 million selling record. I guess that's the one thing that Isaac Brock didn't want to change about this record. He had such a good time with uh, Herring the last time. So why not come back? And, and the formula has not changed all that much. I mean, what Brock specializes in is mixing these really quirky, spastic, kind of off-kilter rhythms and vocals. You mentioned his background in this sort of fire and brimstone wing of Christianity. He reminds me of sort of a demented preacher oh, yeah. on, on quite a few of these tracks. And at the same time, this really sweet pop tooth, a real sense of melody, a real sense of the sweeping kind of pop moments that uh, Mercer is, is really good at and Johnny Marr is even better at in a lot of ways. Johnny Marr is not a show-offy kind of guitarist. You'll be listening through this whole album and you go, hmm, there's this great guitar player on here, but I'm not really hearing any of these big, explosive kind of moments that you associate with great guitar playing, quote-unquote. But Johnny Marr is all over this album. His tastefulness and his fills and the way he plays riffs and, and his way of serving a song as opposed to overwhelming it really helped make this record. I was wondering what this band could do to sort of improve on good news for people who love bad news. It seemed to me like they'd said all they could say in that record. They sort of perfected it. They sort of upped it a notch very subtly here, but this is a very well-crafted record, and at the same time, it doesn't sink in sort of like overthinking or overpolished production. It seems like he's done it. He's pulled it off. He's brought in these two wild cards, Mercer and Marr, and he's made a better album than the last one. No, absolutely. So the English press, always uh, loving coming up with puns, are calling the group now Mardist Mouse. <laughs> but the fact is, if you are a Smiths fan, you are not going to hear the guitar that characterized the Smiths, the debut album, or Meat is Murder. But then, if you're a Smiths fan, you know that Johnny Marr has never really sounded like Johnny Marr ever since he parted ways with Morrissey. You know, Electronic and, and the Healers, they don't sound like the Johnny Marr of those Smiths yeah, records. So there, there isn't Smiths. It's still 100% Isaac Brock's show, and he is still the demented captain at the helm. And like the Shins record and like Arcade Fire, there's kind of a gloom and doom apocalyptic. Things are bad. Things are bad in the world and dark. But I think that he captures the mood, Brock, on this record better than either the Arcade Fire record or the Shins record, and he redeems things more with that beautiful pop chorus when, you know, the, the vocals will kick in and they'll be wordless like we just heard, or there'll be a trumpet or an absolutely gorgeous violin. This is a brilliant, brilliant record. It's one of my favorites of the year so far. I've got to say on our rating scale, Buy It, Burn It, Trash It, this is a Buy It record. Yeah, it's a Buy It record for me as well, Jim. is the new album from Antibalis. It's called Security. The name of the track is Beaten Metal. Who is Antibalis? It's a Brooklyn-based collective, 
anywhere from 11 to 15, 16 people will show up on stage <laughs> at any given moment. As you can tell from that track, very horn-heavy band. They used to call themselves the Antibalas Afrobeat Orchestra. And the reason they did that is that they were referencing Afrobeat music, a style of uh, polyrhythmic funk, jazz, and Yoruban traditional music that was invented by the late Nigerian saxophonist Fela Kuti in the 60s. Now, Kuti was a, uh, a rebel from day one. He played this style of music essentially as a platform to poke fun and ridicule the dictatorship in Nigeria. And he was uh, not too well thought of within the government circles. He was beaten up, he was harassed, he was thrown in jail. They tried everything to silence this guy, he would not. He put out album after album of this furious, funky, driving dance music with this political message over the top. The Antibalas guys, inspired by this message decades later, this is a true world music collective. I mean, the, the membership of Antibalas Orchestra comes from places like Mexico, Asia, Africa, the Middle East. They're from all over the world. They've settled in Brooklyn. Now that once again, they're bringing this Afrobeat message around the world. They are updating it for uh, the 21st century. I saw them at Coachella a couple of years ago, and uh, they stole the show from me. Now uh, we have the fourth album, Security. Highest profile release yet. It's coming out on the anti-label. Let's get a taste of it. Here's a portion of one of the longer tracks on the record. Many of the tracks on this record stretching over eight minutes, some over 11 and 12 minutes. This is a track called Filibuster X. You get a little sense of that political invective over the top of those Nigerian rhythms. It's Antibalas with a track called Filibuster X on Sound Opinions. <laughs> yes, my brothers and sisters. Yes! General to CEO, CEO to President, GEO. No one party system patrolling everything. So let's up the river. That is why we're singing, y'all. called Filibuster X musing over G-O-P <laughs> from Antibalas, the New York band. Uh, Greg, by the way, Spanish, Antibalas is for bulletproof. bulletproof. 
three quick thoughts before I give my opinion here. Uh, this, I think, is the finest sounding album that John McIntyre has produced to date. McIntyre is the Chicago producer and musician who's part of Tortoise, Stereo Lab. He's worked with Tom Zay. I think his productions can sound a bit sterile sometimes, but I don't know with the two dozen members of the Antibolis Orchestra. I, I think sterility is right out the door. Mm-hmm. I don't even think they would have fit in his studio. He probably had to have all the windows open. And there, There's an airier sound in this than you often get from McIntyre. Uh-huh. Um, this is not an easy listen, as you might gather. That part there, which is the catchiest part of Filibuster X, does doesn't even happen till about seven minutes into the song. And then what is there? Probably another seven minutes afterwards. <laughs> These are long grooves. You know, Much very, in the spirit of Fela. Uh, much in the spirit of Fela. You know, 16, um, 18, 20-minute songs. You know. Yeah, but I found Fela easier to listen to because Fela would suck you in with the hypnotic uh, polyrhythms. He didn't necessarily have the aggressive kind of noise rock or discordant things happening on top that Antibalas sometimes has. This is a combination of, you know, people, you were way excited about that TV on the radio record last year. These guys are fellow travelers in the same scene with uh, Antibalas and TV on the radio. This record is just as hard to listen to. There are a lot of jarring elements, but if you spend the time and you let those grooves sweep you into the crazier almost uh, scronk is a term for you know avant jazz noise rock kind of elements of the song you'll be rewarded but by no means is it an easy listen yeah I, I hear what you're saying uh, one of the things that I think this band is misconstrued as is a jam band because they have a lot of people on stage and they use horns therefore they must be a jam band they must be up there improvising every step of the way no what's actually happening is a very very structured composition I mean, all 1154 of Filibuster X is very carefully plotted out. And in that respect, the choice of McIntyre as a producer is very astute. I think McIntyre works in very methodical kind of ways. Almost mathematical. And is able to understand very complex song structures and make them, uh, make them seem logical. Mm-hmm. And, and I think this band sort of understands that uh, impulse and uses it very well in this record, at least the first half of this record. What I'm missing about this Antibalas record is I love when they get that polyrhythmic thing going and you've got those solos bursting over the top. Near the second half, I do think there's a little bit of that tortoise-like texture <laughs> uh, sweeping in here where it's a little more subdued, and a little yeah. more controlled, very elegant kind of stuff going on here. Very I, well crafted. You know, Tortoise, I, Tortoise uh, has ruined many a fine young <laughs> band, and I think we're going to talk about it later in relation to another disc. But I, but I love this, the fire that this band can bring, and for that reason, their 2004 release for me is still the one that is called "Who Is This America," and and that was the one with the track "Indictment" on it mm. that uh, won me over at Coachella. For my money, that's the Antibalas record you need to have. This one, despite the fact that it's very well recorded and very well played, loses some of that fire near the end, and therefore I have to say it's it's a burn-it record for me, Jim. Yeah, I think it's a burn-it record as well. Like I said, parts of it are going to be very off-putting. You, you may be rewarded if you, if you take the time. Certainly, Filibuster X is one of the best songs. Maybe sample that online. So burn it. Uh, we're going to be back on Sound Opinion shortly from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media with more of our special record review blowout here. We're going to be talking about LCD Sound System and Air and Ted Leo and lots more, so stay tuned.
Welcome back to Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media. We're reviewing a bunch of albums today. Let's get to another record. Here's the new one from Ted Leo. Like a gray bird in a blue sky over a blue ocean, civilized men fly! Repeat, repeat, Through puffy clouds and beautiful rainbows with the power and the speed and the will to succeed, money men fly! No need to clump around through the ash, the rubble, and the mud. Or even worse, to put a perfectly spit shot An angry track, bomb, repeat, bomb. That is kind of the centerpiece of the new album, Living with the Living, from Ted Leo. Greg, I'm going to tell you an anecdote that tells you just about everything you need to know about <laughs> Ted Leo. He was playing uh, last summer in front of 20,000 people or so in one of the big indie fests in Chicago. Very early in the set, he came out and he hit the microphone so hard, literally, with his forehead that he cracked it open. <laughs> yeah. Huge gaping hole, blood spurting everywhere, <laughs> all over the mic, all over his mouth as he was singing, all over his shirt. He never stopped for a second. <laughs> kept going, kept bleeding through the whole set. You know, if there's a problem with Mr. Leo, it's that he is earnest, but you can't doubt that he means it. <laughs> you know, he is bleeding for his art. He's been doing it for a decade. Has connections to the New York scene and the Washington, D.C. scene, kind of moved between the two. Has been mixing punk and folk, soul, hardcore, uh, reggae, all sorts of different elements in a sound that uh, ultimately, I would say, owes its most obvious debt to The Clash. You might also hear some uh, Elvis Costello in there. Kind of a throwback. I mean, you know, he he's reaching back to that just late punk, early new wave era where people were singing about politics and they were angry and they were meaning it and they were thinking for a minute, just maybe, music could change the world or have an impact mm-hmm. on, on things. That's the kind of album this is. This is his first release, Living with the Living, for Touch and Go Records. It's much anticipated. He's been building this underground following for a long time. Like I said, he could play to 20,000 people and uh, keep him riveted, if not uh, bloodied, while <laughs> here at one of the big indie festivals last summer. Let's uh, hear a little bit of this record and then talk about whether he is succeeding or not. This is the second track on the disc. It's called The Sons of Cain by Ted Leo on Sound Opinions. Taking me to where you're at. How is my 
That's the Sons of Cain from Ted Leo and the Pharmacist's new album, Living with the Living. Leo, leader of a guitar-bass-drums trio, a agit-punk trio, uh, true and true. If this was 1979, Ted Leo would be in his heyday. I mean, he would just be loving it. That's where he wants to be. That's where his head's at. That's where his musical reference points are. It happens to be 2007. He doesn't care. Um, you know, <laughs> There's a timeless quality, though. He, he absolutely loves his punk rock. He loves his clash. There is that edge of political invective here that you cannot miss in a song like CIA, which ends the album. He, he's talking about history's race is run, but we all know it's just erased by those who won. He'll drop in his anger at, at, at the political system that's going on. At the same time, Jim, I think there's a there's a mod Brit pop influence on mm-hmm. a lot of his work as well. I, I hear a lot of kinks here. Yeah. Uh, I hear a lot of Jam Paul Weller type stuff. When I hear a song like Army Bound, it's hard for me not to notice that he's ripping off the chords from the kinks Victoria and sort of merging it <laughs> yeah. with that sort of spastic <laughs> early XTC sound. So he's a he's an Anglophile as well. You know, he loves that that's that's another sound that you can name check here. And finally, you know, he drops in a little bit of reggae, which the Clash also loved. You can hear that on the Unwanted Things. And there's sort of this little flirtation with Irish punk with the Ilian pipes on a, a bottle of Bucky. So check check check, you know, go through the list. Punk rock, mod Brit pop, little bit of reggae, little bit of Irish punk, you've got Ted Leo. What makes this guy work for me is what you'd referenced earlier. The sincerity, the passion, the earnestness. He's not doing anything new. He's not reinventing any any wheel at all and not making any pretense that he is. But he is bringing an incredible amount of enthusiasm and energy to it. So he does has a, a very dedicated fan base because of that. The guy gets up there on the stage and he plays it like this is the last show no, on he, earth. He means it. He means it. And that was what the clash at their best always had. The one part of any Ted Leo live show that loses it for me is when he goes into the reggae. Yeah. He's not good at it. However, when he keeps things moving in that kind of shambling, hurtling, straightforward, you know, hold on and and, and you better hang on tight because we're going so fast. Rhythm, uh, Sons of Cain is just, I mean, that that's great. How can you not like that that song? It, it's a mixed record. Uh, it's right on the cusp of buy it uh, and burn it for me. You know, those reggae tracks are really bad. So <laughs> I would say burn this record. And if you really like what you're starting to sample, you know, then, then go ahead and buy it. Uh, and by all means, see him live because he's a great live performer. Yeah, I, I would concur with that, Jim. I, I think he's an act you've got to see live. I think the records wear thin pretty quickly for me. I, I just can't get past the reference points. And for that reason, I've got to give it a burn it. bunch of dedicated low fans are out there going, huh? <laughs> what happened to my band? That is Low, a longtime trio from Duluth, Minnesota. They specialized in what has become known as slowcore music. Uh, they are among the slowest, quietest bands on earth, and I mean that with all due respect and admiration. I love, love this band, and I have for a long time, but that sounds nothing 
like anything they've made before. Radio static in the background, mm-hmm. this funeral drum, and those words. I mean, all soldiers, they're all going to die. All the little babies, they're all going to die. All the poets and all the liars, all you pretty people, you're all going to die. Those are the opening lines on the new album by Lowe. It's called <laughs> Drums and Guns. This band has been around since uh, 93. This is their eighth record. It is, to say the least, a little bit of a detour for these guys. Uh, we're going to jump into that in a minute, but let's play another track from the new Low record. Here's an example of what they're up to. A track called Belarus from the new Low record called Drums and Guns on Sound Opinions. That's a track called Belarus from the newest eighth album from Low Drums and Guns is the name. It's on Sub Pop Records. Second record, Greg, that they've worked on with Dave Fridman up in Casadaga, New York. Fridman, best known as the guy who brought us Flaming Lips and Mercury Rev, kind of the centerpiece in recording those two bands, which this record sounds nothing like. No. <laughs> nothing no. at all. I made a crack earlier. The Tortoise, the post-rock ensemble from Chicago, has ruined many a fine young band. This is what I was referring to here. There is this kind of post-rock electronic drum loops, drum machines, uh, weird static noises happening uh, in the background kind of thing happening with Lowe. I was being sort of facetious. I think it's actually an interesting experiment on Lowe's part. Again, eight albums, 14 or 15 years as a band, and above and beyond that, you you know, the two key players here, Alan Sparhawk and uh, Mimi Parker, uh, the guitarist vocalist and the drummer vocalist, they've known each other since fourth grade. Yeah. You know, they've been, I I don't think they get, and they're married, and they have kids. kids, I, I don't think they get nearly the amount of credit in the indie rock world that we give Yola Tango. You know, Ira Kaplan and Georgia Hubley, a famous married couple, recorded album after album of subtle, subtle, subtle variations on the same basic Velvet Underground sound. So has Lowe. And I think that they've been just as rewarding. 
Greg, they started working with Dave Fridman on the last album, The Great Destroyer, and they really turned up the guitars. Uh, that had started a few years even earlier before that when they worked with Steve Albini. So they've done slowcore, they've done driving indie guitar rock, and now they're doing this electronic thing. And at first it may throw you, but the more you listen, the more, you know, it starts to sound like low, but in a really interesting new direction. Belarus, I think, is an example of one of the songs that work. Pretty People, I, I, I thought my CD player was broken the first time I was <laughs> listening to it. It's a, it's a mixed results album. It's a burn it record for me. But nevertheless, I, I continue to give Low its props as one of the most consistent and long-lived of the indie rock bands happening today. I, it's, it's an odd one, Jim. Uh, it follows up The Great Destroyer, as you mentioned, which did go for that sort of harder, heavier, more mainstream, if you will, attack. I I think maybe in a lot of ways their most accessible album for a lot of people. It's like, oh, this almost sounds like stuff they play on the radio. They've gone completely in the opposite direction here. This this record, it's it's a minefield of noise and humming amplifiers and glitch-like beats. It's a tortoise record. Uh, It it is a very, (laughs) very off-putting record. A lot of people are going to hear this, and as they said, they are going to think there's stereo equipment's defective, or the CD is defective, or they got a bad MP3, an infected MP3 file from a friend. Um, I think those are all compliments, actually. I I think this is... We're not like other people, Greg. Oh, I, I I freely admit that, and this is a very cautionary uh, recommendation on this record. I have grown to really, really like this record because buried within all that static and all that noise is the core of this record, which is Sparhawk and Parker and those harmonies. Uh, the vocal harmonies, the vocal melodies are still there. They're still beautiful. They're singing some incredibly depressing lyrics. This is like a two-person choir at a funeral for the world. The world is slowly killing itself and these are the last two people left on Earth and they're the ones singing the funeral songs. Because listen, they were never cheery to begin with. I mean, they were living up in Duluth, which is like gray ten months out of the year, right? Because I've been to Duluth. And they must have... And now they're they're depressed. Oh my God. Jim, they must have written this. It must have been like 12-foot snowbanks outside (laughs) and the CNN reports were pouring in about people killing themselves in Iraq and people killing themselves in the Middle East and Africa starving itself to death, you get an album like this. And I think in a lot of ways, it's a really sad, poignant commentary on our times. And and it's beautiful in in a lot of ways, but it's also incredibly off-putting, incredibly brave effort. I love it. I'm going to say buy it, but I can understand why a lot of people mm. would hate this record. Yeah, I, I got to stick with my burn it, uh, except the good parts are really good. And so if you, again, burn it, sample it like you would with Andy Ballas, and uh, if it's appealing to you, go out and buy it. You're listening to Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media. What do you think of these records? Uh, Jim and I are giving our two cents. How about yours? Give us a call, 1-888-859-1800, or send us an email at interact at soundopinions.org. We're going to be right back with some more record reviews of the LCD sound system and air.
Welcome back to Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media. If that voice sounds familiar, it should. I mean, above and beyond being a Brian Ferry imitation, it's Jarvis Cocker of Pulp. This is basically every song Jarvis has ever written. But in, in this tune, One Hell of a Party, he is equating a hangover with the end of a romance. It's what he does very well. But he's uh, fronting music created by Air. Air is the French duo of Nicolas Godin and Jean Bonoy Dunkel. My French is lousy. I probably <laughs> slaughtered their names. I'm sorry. But Air has been, since the explosion of electronic music in the late 90s, after the alternative era, when it seemed like uh, electronic music was going to be the next big thing. It was going to rule the world. You know, Moby and Aphex, when everything was going to take over. Air has been a comer since that point. And their 1998 debut, Moon Safari, is considered a masterpiece by many people. One of the best records of the 90s. A merger of electronic experimental soundscapes and uh, Space Age Bachelor pad music from the 60s, weird but fun and, and joyful kind of Afrobeat and world beat and, and European soundtracks from the 60s and Italian movies and all this stuff that combined for a great, great album that also mixed in a little bit of Pink Floyd, circa what the fans call the amazing pudding era, after <laughs> Sid Barrett and before The Dark Side of the Moon when you had albums like Amagama and uh, Moore and Adam Hart Mother. You know I love all those things. Everything I just name-checked, I'm a sucker for, right, Greg? The take by fans has been that Air hasn't been able to get it right since. With uh, 2001's 10,000 Hertz Legend, they went more in the really dark experimental direction. With Talkie Walkie in 2004, they went more in the pop song direction. With the soundtrack to Sofia Coppola's The Virgin Suicides, they went more in the soundtrack direction. <laughs> People have been wanting them to remake Moon Safari ever since it came out. Did they succeed this time? I don't know. They went in the studio with Nigel Godrich, who's probably best known as the producer of Radiohead, and are coming out with this record, Pocket Symphony, which is, I think, the uh, uh, most spotlighted album they've put out in quite some time. This is a tune that doesn't feature of any guest vocalist. There are a few on the album. This is just the main guys of Godin and Dunkel, and it's a song called Photograph on Sound Opinions.
Well, Jim, there was just a hint, just a hint of what made air uh, great back in the 90s. <laughs> that Rhodes piano rippling through that song that we just heard. With the synthesizer washes in the yes, background. Uh, just a hint of what made air great. The song called Photograph from the new album Pocket Symphony, their fourth uh, proper studio record. What's new about this record? Well, a couple of minor things. We had the guest vocalist that you mentioned, uh, Pulp's Jarvis Cocker, as well as the Divine Comedy's Neil Hannon. Godin's also learned how to play some Japanese stringed instruments, including yeah. Kodo, which he's sprinkling throughout this record. And there's also... So they've a, always had that mix of synthesizer mm-hmm. and acoustic guitar, and now it's synthesizer and acoustic guitar, or Kodo, or shamisen. Right. The electronic instruments mixed with the with the more organic instruments. A little bit a more of a classical, modern classical touch, uh, you know, owing something to the minimalism, classical minimalism of Philip Glass. A lot of glass, So yeah. they're getting away from the pop and getting into more of these kind of oblique, textured, kind of classical slash eastern modes on this record. And you know what? It's nicely played. It's a beautiful, mellow, lullaby kind of record. But it is absolutely a chore <laughs> to get through. I am just, you no. know, just, what happened to these guys? Oh, no, 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 no. You got it all wrong. Your analysis is completely cracked. I think this is the first time they have got the mix of ambient and pop right since Moon Safari. Wow. Uh, as I said, 10,000 Hertz Legend went too far in the one direction. Talkie Walkie went too far in the other, although I love both those records, too. How can you say there's no pop here when, you, you know, One Hell of a Party, Napalm Love, Photograph, Redhead Girl, these are really catchy and beautiful songs. And I think it's a rare thing and an ambitious thing for anybody to try to do to make ambient music that makes you hum along. Brian Eno. Uh oh, Eno alert. You can't mention, (laughs) you can't talk about ambient music without talking about Eno, (laughs) the man who named it. And he said that it was music that rewards attention but doesn't demand it, it can be happening in the background. And yet you you want people to pay attention. I think Air perfectly captures that. Buy it, burn it, trash it is the scale. Uh, this is a buy it record. I love oh, this record. Oh, these guys are a couple of drips. They got no personality. Oh, the only personality you... on this record is Cocker. You are and a he's on one song. You don't like the French, do you? Oh, You're you all know, about the South Americans. You don't like the French. I like these guys better as producers than I do as as, as front men. I, I just don't think they have the, the personality or, or the pizzazz or, or the sense of drama that you need to carry an entire album by themselves. You, you didn't like. I'm beginning you didn't like to think, Adam Hot Mother either, did you? I'm, you didn't. No, and I'm beginning to think Moon Safari was uh, was a fluke, uh, a, a, a terrific fluke, a record that I still play. I can't imagine myself putting on Pocket Symphony ever again. It's oh, a trash it record. No, no. New York, I love you, but you're bringing me down. New York, I love you, but you're bringing me down Like a rat in a cage Pulling minimum wage New York, I love you, but you're bringing me down You're safer and you're wasting my time Ah, that one sarcastic voice belongs to uh, James Murphy, otherwise known as uh, LCD Sound System. Producer, mixer, multi-instrumentalist, record mogul. His DFA uh, label has been uh, at the forefront 
of the merger of disco and rock in the last five years. Um, he has produced a number of singles for both himself and other artists. Uh, his single, Losing My Edge, really defined what was happening in the downtown New York scene in the early part of this decade uh, when dance and rock once again started to merge much as they did in the early 80s when you had bands like ESG and, and Bush Tetris and Liquid Liquid and the Contortions bringing a little bit of that flavor back into the modern New York City scene and also uh, did a tremendous uh, single with the, the Rapture called House of Jealous Lovers again a defining single for the early part of this decade so Mr. Murphy's had his thumbprint on the cutting edge of the dance clubs and the rock clubs for the last five or six years. The first LCD sound system record, self-titled, came out in 2005. Jim and I both loved this record. It was number two for me. It was in Jim's top ten as well. Absolutely. Uh, singles like Losing My Edge, Daft Punk is playing at my house, Tribulations, could not stop playing them. Still playing them today, Jim. Yeah. I, I, mean, just, I love that. You're just saying those names <laughs> make me want to play them again. Gotta play yeah. them again. So what could this guy do for an encore? Uh, coming back now with Sound of Silver, the second LCD sound system record. We're going to get to a track right away, and then we're going to talk about it. But again, really the key figure in sort of bridging the worlds of dance music and rock in North America. It's done all the time in England. For some reason, North America can't seem to get its head around the idea that, hey, dance music and rock music belong together. James Murphy is really one of the guys who understands that best with his DFA label and now with his uh, records as LCD Sound System. Here's a track very much in the uh, vein of those earlier singles that we just referenced, North American Scum from the new record Sound of Silver on Sound Opinions. moment from the album Sound of Silver. 
LCD sound system, and North American scum. Greg, you're absolutely right. Uh, LCD sound system was one of our favorite records a couple years ago with that debut, and then we saw them live. Mm-hmm. <laughs> First time at South by Southwest, and they were even better. There was less of a, a kind of dance edge uh, production sort of thing happening, which is inevitable in the studio, of course. And live, it became this pure primal thing where everybody's banging on a cowbell, and the synthesizer's getting, like, your phrase going to topple into the audience. <laughs> everybody's hammering away. It's all about the rhythm. It was celebratory. I think that seeing LCD Sound System live and loving those shows, I must have seen them three or four times yeah. touring and support that record, tarnished me a little bit for this record because I was expecting an album that was going to give me that experience again, mm-hmm. and it can't. You know what I mean? Or it would be a rare record that captured that experience. That is probably the most instantly accessible moment on the record, uh, North American Scum, where James Murphy inexplicably is channeling Julian Casablancas of The Strokes. <laughs> uh, there's a lot of very inside jokes on this record, uh, and that's to be expected. Uh, Murphy would have been a rock critic if he hadn't stumbled into production. I should mention the second coolest man ever from Princeton Junction, New Jersey, Mm -hmm. the other being our producer, Matt Spiegel. Um, (laughs) You know, he he found this accidental career where suddenly Britney Spears and Janet Jackson are begging him to produce. And he's like, no, no, I'm I'm sticking with these Brooklyn bands and and doing my own thing. He's having fun. Now he gets to put out major label records and he gets to rip off blatantly and unapologetically Kraftwerk. Mm -hmm. I mean, I stopped counting at about the third or fourth Kraftwerk riff that was stolen. And then I started realizing, wait a minute, there's also a lot of Bowie. And then I didn't even bother. I mean, there's, there's, you know, there's Bowie and there's Kraftwerk and there's those late 70s, early 80s new wave mergers coming out of New York like you were talking about. Then he's imitating the strokes. It's all with a sense of humor. New York, I love you, closes the record. It's the most uh, conventional song and and the slowest groove on the record. It isn't instantly going to suck you in like the last one, but I have the secret for you. All you have to do is listen to this. The cowbell. Let the cowbell draw you in. It's all about the cowbell. This may well be the best cowbell record in the history of rock and roll. For that reason alone, for the benighted instrument of the cowbell, I give LCD Sound System a buy it. Yeah, he brought uh, the cowbell back at full force. Uh, not since Blue Oyster Cult was resurrected on Saturday Night Live by Christopher Walken has the cowbell enjoyed such <laughs> prominence uh, than with James Murphy and the LCD Sound System. This record is a bit of a change of pace. You're right. Less rock, more disco. I think there's, it's more about groove and, and less about melody, more about quirks, less about hooks. For that reason, I think there's going to be some people who are going to be uh, less entranced with this record. I agree with you. Don't lose faith, people. There's some great stuff on this record. The Eno Bowie references are all over the place. The ah, New Order references, it. yep, there's an Eno reference. Talking Heads all over Us versus Them. But in a cool way, he's clearly updating the sound. Little reference points for those people who kind of really study those records and know what those records are about. And he's referencing the best parts of those. You know, the little chicken scratch guitar yeah. that David Byrne would play in those oh, talking very hit songs. subtle things. And you yeah. wouldn't even notice it, but he's sort of bringing that back on Us Versus Them. Really cool. New York, I love you, but you're bringing me down. <laughs> I just think it's like a comedic travelogue. This guy, I guess, had a shot at, at writing comedy for the Seinfeld show and, wow. and turned it down. So, you know, New York, I love you, but you're bringing me down. So it works as this comedic travelogue. It's a protest song about New York City getting uptight. He's bummed out about that, but yet he still loves the place. And at the same time, he's dropping these things about uh, Europe's buildings are old and the continent is full of mimes, you know? Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, uh, but, but it pays better for DJs, you know? Yeah, so yeah. he's making all these kind of uh, references, and some of these references will go right over your head. But at the same time, 
listen to those grooves. The guy puts yeah. together the best groove music going at this moment. It is a different record. It's a quirkier record, but I think it's uh, in, in its own way just as rewarding as the debut record, and I'll give it a buy it as well. One complaint we've gotten about these record review shows is that people are overwhelmed then when they go to the record store the next time or they go on to iTunes. Let me recap. The two must-buy-its from both of us from this yep. show were LCD Sound System, Sound of Silver, and Modest Mouse. We were dead before the ship even sank. We split to say the least. On air, I said buy it. You said trash it. We split on low. You said buy it. I said burn it. We were both of the opinion that you should burn Antiballas and burn Ted Leo. Now what do we got next week? Next week, Jim, we are going to be back uh, in recovery mode. We will be back from a week in Texas. We will have more new music to spring on you. More new music. Can you believe that? We're going to be talking like this. <laughs> don't, don't talk so loud. Yeah, it's going to be uh, recovery mode, but uh, we're going to have a lot of great new music to lay on you. All the best new bands are going to be in Austin, Texas this week for the South by Southwest Music Conference. The entire Sound Opinions team will be down there covering it for you, and we'll be back with our report next week. Speaking of that team, Sound Opinions is produced by Todd Bachman, Matt Spiegel, Jason Saldana, and Robin Lynn. And we get lots of support. And honest to God, we're not thinking of Tori Malatia when we played North American Scum by LCD Sound System. <laughs> Sound Opinions, everyone's a critic. So give us a call on our hotline, 1-888-859-1800. No phone, no phone, I just want to be alone today. No phone, no phone. New messages. Hi, my name is Bill Anstead. I'm calling from Minneapolis, Minnesota. I try and listen to your show as often as possible on 89.3 The Current. Just calling to say that I really love some of your opinions, and I think that you guys play some great music, but sometimes you guys border on musical snobbery. And uh, I think that's just tragic in today's world, where even sometimes the world's most schmaltzy pop has a place in everybody's hearts. Thanks a lot for putting on a great show and introducing me to some great new music. Thank you very much. Jim and Greg, it's Frank from Chicago. Great show you guys are doing. After your last show, when you guys were talking about the music and the commercials, the, the one that came to my mind was the Violent Femmes Blister in the Sun for the Wendy's commercial. Um, yeah, I just thought it was kind of funny thinking about masturbating and being strung out while we're being... Well, you, you get the picture anyways. Talk to you guys later. Let me go on like I blister in the sun. Let me go on. Big hands, I know you're the one. Hi, guys. This is Michael calling from Chicago. Really thought the show was cool two weeks ago when you discussed the Stooges' new album, and I'm a big fan of Iggy, 
but for the love of God, would you please explain to me why you guys and other rock critics have to keep bringing up the MC5? I'm a Michigan native, and I speak for the entire state when I say we don't get it. Maybe they were a milestone in their day, but I don't see their music as really relevant anymore. Mentioning the MC5 when talking about new music is like bringing up Lenny Bruce when talking about Sarah Silverman. The MC5 and Bruce were important about 40 years ago, but their expiration date is up. Please stop it. Thanks. Keep it up. Bye. Hi, guys. This is Nick Schreiber calling in regards to the Arcade Fire review. Um, I agree with pretty much everything you guys said. It's different than the, uh, the previous album, uh, but... On Ocean of Noise, Jim, I'm going to have to disagree with you. I think that it kind of lurks with uh, kind of a majestic beauty to a really subdued conclusion, and uh, I'm a big fan of that song. But as a whole, I think uh, you guys had it right on. Uh, keep up the good work. Thank you very much. Ocean of Noise First heard your voice Ringing like a bell If I had a choice, oh well This is Wall from Minneapolis, and this is my sound opinion. I listened with interest to your review of Neon Bible from the Arcade Fire, or as I like to call them, the anti-polyphonic spree. After listening five or six times since I downloaded it on Tuesday morning, I, I can understand your assessment that the album has flaws, but I'd still give it a buy-it rating. Ambition has to count for something. When you raise the bar as high as they did with Funeral and to come back with something this creative and intense, uh, I think that has to earn you some credit, even if the result isn't perfect. I'd much rather listen to a flawed Arcade Fire or White Stripes than a perfect whole uh, play or something like that. Thanks again for the great show. Bye. No more messages. To give us your opinion on Sound Opinions, call our hotline, 1-888-859-1800. We'll be back next week with Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media.